Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Never stood on a promise of God. You ever stood on a promise of God and waited for it to come? I don't know who I'm talking to, but we need to restore the lost art of standing on the promises of God and not just coming to the premises, but standing on His promises. I mean, it's nothing like spending time with God, having a sweet time with Him. And something in the Word jumps out at you. And like a good stew, it sticks to your ribs. And God uses it as a way to nurture your heart and mind to believe Him for some things that's out of range right now. And then over time, as you believe and as you trust and as you wait, at some point in time, God just does it. Am I by myself? I wonder do I have about three people under here that ever waited on God for something and you didn't think it was gonna happen and all of a sudden out of nowhere, God showed up in your life and did the undoable, did the impossible and did the unthinkable. I want to encourage you to have a promise every season of your life that you're holding on to God for. Because there is something in our life constantly that we need to be believing our King for. Amen? Amen. Well, I am glad to be back in the pulpit. Amen. I was supposed to be here for the men's panel, but I ended up getting COVID out of nowhere. So that was why I missed the first week. And then after that, I was gone overseas, which um, thank you for giving the breath of time to take the time. My wife and I to do that trip. The best trip of my life. Um, best trip of my life. Um, and it wasn't a vacation. People say, how was your vacation? That was no way. We walked probably 20 miles a day. So it wasn't. A vacation at all um, it was actually research for you and for my soul and I was helping lead a team but um, it was just learning and just being there uh, we went to Athens we went to Cyprus we went to Corinth we went to Ephesus we went to Bethlehem we went to Galilee and we went to the holy city Jerusalem and um, and I can tell you it's it's different uh, going in the geography of where stuff happened, um, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to even talk about going to Golgotha and putting my hand on the rock that the wood went into that crucified our Savior. Um, so many different things that happened. Um, Jerusalem's an interesting city. Um, you you got to focus to be a pilgrim there. Um, you know, my wife got spit at by some Muslims there and so it was a lot of hostility there but we saw a fight break out uh, between vendors it was pretty rough um, and so but it was a great time and I'm hoping um, that we can do a trip there um, and we can do a trip but I will focus it even more uh, because it, it, it's for your soul you it, it just hits different and I'm gonna just tell you this I'm not telling everything um, they were built different back then they were built different. When you read that Elijah went from Samaria to Mount Hebron on foot in mountains, he didn't have boost technology. He, he didn't have, he wasn't gelling. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, and it was 200 miles. And, um, you know, um, um, it, it makes the Bible say different things to you. 
as you read the beauty of what God has done and it nurtures her soul. So I'm hoping we'll be able to go one day. But that's my brief spill on that. Um, before I tell you what passage we're getting into, oh, ne next thing. Pastor Kurt's birthday was this week. Happy birthday. That's what I meant to say. You know you're still a young man. I'm still, let me talk about you 38, now you old. You're still a young man. Young man. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. So happy birthday. We're so thankful for your leadership and love and shepherding in this flock. Amen. Amen. So I, I, I want to preface this sermon. I want you to not assume the worst on what I'm about to preach. If you're a visitor and it's your first time here, um, I don't want you to say, see, this is what I'm talking about. When you hear it, I need you to be with me. Somebody say, be with me. Yeah, yeah, I want y'all to be with me through this because this is a key shepherding moment for our, for our members and our serial attenders. Amen. Amen. I say that in love. Y'all know y'all, some of y'all been going here two years because you went through something somewhere else and you like the church but don't want to become a part. So what you do is you're a serial attender. I, I'm going to treat you like you're a member today. Okay? Because I got something to say to you too. I love you very, very much. Just love you to death. Love you to life. Yes, I do. You're going, you're going, we're going to all get this work today. Amen. Now, don't assume the worst. Malachi 3, verse 7 to 12 is our base passage. We'll be in some other passages. Malachi 3, verses 7 through 12. Say out loud, don't assume the worst, but hope for the best. There we go. There we go. Let's get this. One, two, three, read. Amen. I'd like to talk about today rebranding generosity and giving. Let's rebrand it. Rebranding generosity and giving. Most high. Work on our hearts. Work on our challenges. Work on our trauma. Make us generous. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, uh, I grew up in the church, but I don't know when I became a believer. I don't think I was a believer. Um, and so I, I didn't adult in church because some people act like they were they really know what church was like. But you really don't know until you're an adult, like having the fully fledged function as a member of a church. So um, <clears throat> that didn't happen to me until, I, you know, I trusted Jesus Christ in college and I started, you know, I started actually having to be an adult Christian functionally in the church. You know, my parents, I wasn't under them in the church and a member through their membership, I was, I had to go through my own membership class. I had to go through my own teachings, had to uh, uh, sign covenant. So ended up going there, but I wasn't in the Northeast for long, grew up, born and raised in the Northeast, but then, had, then, then, then went, then went and ended up going to the South, which is, which for me was culture shock. You know, I, I grew up in Chocolate City, so going up, Going to my friend's light-skinned city was different for me. That's no, that's no shade, but it's different, you know? Um, um, you, you, can't, you can't say certain things that you used to say, so it was different for me. As I was there, down, down in the South, particularly in Texas, Dallas, um, it, was, it was different. I mean, I, I became a youth pastor of a church 
We went to a ch- and we went to, to do a lock-in. How many of you know what a lock-in is? Where the youth ministry goes overnight and locks into a building overnight. This church, it was in McKinney, Texas. That, I, that wasn't the church I was a member of. That was the church we used. They had a bowling alley, a movie theater, a skating ring, a, 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 a racquetball court, and an arcade. In the church. Now you gotta understand, I'm from up here. You know, you go into the storefront, you just dust your feet off in the snow and walk into the joint. You know, down there you go in, the lobby is the size of our room right here. Just as a standard. Like, so I'm going out and I and then I'm watching some of the pastor stand up, you know, uh, uh, you know, he'll talk and just say, They I need 1.5 million dollars by this evening, and it's done. You know, I, I got I got on there, a friend of mine passed, he's pastor the church. He said, man, if we don't get 30 million, we're not building a building. I'm not doing a building campaign. He said, if we don't get the pledges by the end of this service, we're not building. He got 30 million in a service. Now, it was interesting because one of my, and so I was at my pastor's church. He's raising money, doing great work in the community. And so one of my mentors down there, <laughs> i never forget what he said. He said, you going to plant Philly E? I said, yeah. He said, he from Camden. He said, yeah, it's going to be different than down here. <laughs> and I was like, what you mean? He says, you're going to have to be spiritually prepared for how different your experience was here. He said, you weren't in ministry fully when you were in the Northeast. He says, but when you go back, it's going to be different. You know how you think, the Lord going to do something different with me. You know, I shake the dust off my feet, you know, and I'm just like, it's going to be different. Um, but belief doesn't impede reality. And I can tell you, I came here and there were some years, really, Epiphany Fellowship has been worked on for 20 years, 17 of them has been in Philly. And I can tell you, I've gone through seasons of frustration with having more vision than giving. Um, and even at sometimes wrestled with jealousy of my friends who are in the milk and honey land who are able to raise, my friend, a friend of mine just built a $15 million youth building in a place where the kids don't need it. And I told him, I said, those are for the kids out there. I said, man, if I had that in Philly, and I, and, and I dealt with that, right? But then God began working here in my mind and heart. And one of the things that we've done to a fault here is you have on this side of the equation people that are fleecing flocks for money. Um, and, and, and are always, every Sunday is 15 offerings and this kind of thing. But then we were on the other side of the equation. We didn't ask enough. As a matter of fact, me, I don't put it on the elders, I really put it on me. I, because we started with 50% new believers, most of our churches, 50% new Christians and people that had come out of severe church trauma and cults. And because of that, I didn't, I, I didn't deal with money well, not stewardship financially, because we have financial, I'm talking about in communicating and teaching on generosity and giving because I thought people would see it as a trigger versus an act of worship. And so what I did was I raised $3 million outside of Epiphany for y'all to sit here today. But, and I did it courageously, but I was a coward here. And so today I start this sermon by repenting for not challenging you to be worshipers through giving. Because I want, I want you to get out of this today of how much a pleasure it should be. How much a deep part and root of your spiritual life, generosity and flagrant giving can be whether you're on public assistance or you're in a boardroom in a skyscraper in Center City. So, what are some negative things that have, this is gonna be a while today, I just wanna let y'all know. Are y'all with me? All right, I love y'all. 
but y'all got to get all the work in Jesus' name today because I'm about to have a sermonic enema today. Amen. <laughs> Negative things that impact giving and generosity in the church. Number one, manipulation. Some of us have dealt with so much manip manipulation, we've turned off hearing about, like soon as you talk about giving, some people are like, they suck their teeth. <clears throat> because it's more connected to manipulation than ministry. Not only that mismanagement, there has been mismanagement of funds in ministries that you've been a part of. They say they're building a building, but the money never goes to the building or the money gets transferred to the pastor and his family. Y'all quiet in the mug. The first service was quiet, I'm good. It was quiet too. Um, selfishness, but also misunderstanding. But, I, I, but what I'm trusting God for is, is that we would be broken free of the stronghold surrounding giving. There is a stronghold in our culture. I mean, you know, because even, I mean, you can't watch a black exploitation film from the 70s or, or you watch, you know, any kind of TV show about a preacher cross ethnically where the preacher is two things. He's a womanizer and he's a money hungry fool. I watched something, I, I peeked at something recently and Snoop was like a preacher in it and he's womanized and he's wanting money. I'm like, they, it's, it's, it's like the devil just wants to brand the church and, and pastors. I rebuke that because I, I, most of the pastors I know are men of God who love Jesus and who want to do stuff right. So don't you let the media create a caricature of pastoral leadership that's substandard than the reality of your situation here. We not perfect, but we ain't that. So we, we got today in the spirit. I fasted all week for today. Um, I can say it now because it's done. But I fasted all week for this because I need this to be broken because we got too much to do. So what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mindset, a value system, or thought process that hinders your growth. In relation to giving, you have a stronghold, all of us here, that's hindering our growth, the growth of others, and you exalting Jesus above everything in your life. So now, what are the keys in our stewardship now and in the future as a church? Number one, the church and physical, account, uh, and physical or financial accountability. We have a lot of financial accountability. We have a time every year, once or twice a year, where we walk through what, where, how money is used. So we got to have that. But my prayer is that the stronghold surrounding giving in the church will be broken. Also, I want to be fearless in asking you for money. And not worrying about how you feel no more. After this sermon, I don't care. Look at all y'all. Listen, after this sermon, I'm not going to explain offerings to you. If somebody got a question, I'm going to point them to the stewardship series and this sermon. I want us to see giving as a tool, not a trauma. Um... And I want us to develop, and this is the key really for me today that I'm repenting of, is really, I think we have a Peace University, Financial Peace University, but I, I don't feel like we have developed a biblical view of money and giving as it pertains to generosity. And knowing really that the Bible speaks very, very highly of generosity. I want to get to the day when you know, like Moses, every pastor wished they had the Moses problem. The, the day when Israel kept giving stuff and they gave so much that they had to tell them, stop it. So let me feel that way at some point in the course of kingdom work. Hallelujah. Amen. So <clears throat> things that's happening that has sparked me into grief. I went into a mo I got off the plane, got some news and I dealt with some grief later. And the grief is, many of you aren't giving. 
probably about half of the membership didn't give this year. And I didn't understand that. It was people that gave last year that didn't give this year. And I knew that there was a sickness in our church. Because usually I'll hear of mass layoffs and things of that sort. And we'll help with jobs and benevolences of people getting on their feet. We'll help with that. But because there has been no issues with jobs, it's an issue with disobedience. So there, there's, there's a heart issue going on that we need Yahweh to do surgery on. And many of us don't have that biblical view of giving and many of us aren't committed to giving. It's clear that giving isn't a core part of many of your spiritual lives. And we're talking about attenders too because if you're an attender, even though you're not a member and you're sitting under this word, the Bible says that since you get taught here, you should give here. That's what Galatians 6 says. I said that too. I'll say it again to you in love. So let's define generosity. Let's define giving. Y'all know I like definitions so that we can kind of work through things and get clarity. Somebody say clarity. So generosity is the selfless concern about God's glory, God's kingdom, God's people, and God's mission in the world by investing financially in them. Just want to define this before as we get into these verses. The selfless concern about God's glory, that's first, central, God's kingdom, that's outward, God's people, that's inward, God's mission, that's outward in the world by investing financially in them. Next, giving. What is giving them? Giving is the act of understanding that everything belongs to God. If you pay off your house and you get the deed to it, if you pay off your car and you get the title to it, on earth you're called an owner, in heaven you're called a steward. In other words, you are a manager here, not an owner. If you, if you put in Delaware a LLC so that you can be as tax-free as you can, even though you're called the owner of the LLC or the corporation, you're just a steward under God's command. And so the act of understanding that everything belongs to God and that we are stewards of what is in our sphere and using a portion of what is stewarded to be invested in God's kingdom. So it's interesting here that we're in Malachi, which brings me to my first of several points. First point, giving is an act of worship, service, and devotion to God. Giving is an act of worship, service, and devotion to God. Listen to what the text says. As we get into the text, we need to understand that Israel has gotten out of captivity in Persia and Babylon. And they have become just as unfaithful now as they were before. <laughs> and so there's, they've, they've taken care of their own personal needs because they wanted their come up because they were in captivity so long. So they think their captivity made them deserve the ability to explore life freely, but at the expense of God's kingdom. And so in light of that reality, God rebukes them in Haggai. And he said, oh, y'all going to build um, MTV tricked out cribs, but my temple is left undone. I mean, your house got TV screens coming out of uh, uh, granite and you got a mahogany hardwoods all through the crib. You got shutters on the outside. You can use an iPad to control the house, but my house lies in ruins. And so God is challenging them with that and now he's challenging them with the spiritual deficit that has happened there and he gives several things that are indicators that they've fallen away and here in this text he gives them a one of the strongest rebukes out of everything 
of a significant indicator that they're no longer walking with God. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Says the Lord, yet you ask, how can we return? So God is about to answer them what returning to him looks like. Now his answer, listen, listen, is his answer is what it looks like to repent. I want you to hear this. What he's going to say to them is what it looks like for them to go from not walking in solid fellowship with him to having sweet communion with him. This is not Eric talking. This is not Pastor E talking. This is the book talking. <laughs> he said, will a man rob God? Now here, <clears throat> we're going to get to the tithing part. Tithing is not a New Testament principle. That is, and I'll get to that in a second, in the same way we think about it. It's useful, but it's not a law issue. But God in this text, <clears throat> interestingly enough, Cause it robbing him, not the temple. He didn't say you robbed the Levites and the preachers and the outreach. He said you robbed me. Now let's make robbing clear. Robbing means you stole something. Means it did not belong to you. <clears throat> Listen, the reason why God doesn't auto-remove stuff from your money is because he wants the obedience from you to go through the process emotionally, spiritually, and physically of doing the work of putting him first in your finances. He says, well, a man, now God, now God, you know what I'm saying? God sounding a little gangster right here. Because it's, it's like, you know, you ever seen somebody on the block? I mean, I know everybody ain't from the block or whatever. But like, <clears throat> you know, you know, you know, they, they ready to catch rap. That's what we used to call it. I mean, fight at any moment of time. It's like I dare, I dare them dudes. I wish they would rob me. I wish they would rob. God is like, oh, you, oh, you going to rob me? Work? Mm. All right, shorty. We're going to see how this work out. You understand? So God is saying, Oh, you, what, I mean, I'm like God. And you're robbing me, he says. He says, yeah, you are robbing me. And then you, he said, I know how y'all are. Y'all going to act like y'all not doing it. So I got to answer the question for you. Guess what you're going to say? How are we robbing you, God? <laughs> right? I believe that's just how he said it, based on how the text is laid out in the Hebrew. Then it says, y'all missed it. You ask. He says, by not making the payments of the tenth contributions. Now notice he said the tenth contributions, plural. That means it wasn't one tithe, it was three. <laughs> it's three tithes. And so he basically says, <coughs> you're robbing me. Thereby God is making himself the central figure in giving. Many of us believe that when we give, that we're giving to the pastor. But we got to recognize that that's not the focus of giving. The giving in the, in, the, in the text is always focused on God. Honor the Lord with the first of your wealth. So when we look at the truth of the word, we need to now have our ideas reformed again. You're not, when you give, you're not giving to outreach. You're not giving to my salary. You're not giving directly to what you're giving to God. And until you see it that way, you will be as stingy as you can be. Listen, if you were just giving to me, of course you wouldn't give. If you were just giving to the mission, then it would be seasonal. But when you love God and you know what he's done for you and how he's taking care of your old crazy self, how dare you treat your resources as if you can't bless the king of kings and the lord of lords. Hallelujah. And I know, I know we've been through some trauma and some different things and the world has taken advantage of it. Black Lives Matter, I remember they first was coming out and I'm not talking about the hashtag, which is the organic movement. I'm talking about the foolish organized movement. And I called it that. And I don't care what anybody says. Um, <clears throat> they got $90 million in 2020 and spent 
60 million on themselves. But you're in a rally talking about if your church doesn't give to your give to black people in your community, then you shouldn't give. Giving to the church isn't for the church to help black people. Now I know y'all gonna get mad at me. That can be a byproduct if the it, and just because it's black don't mean it needs our help. It has to submit to this. Black don't come before this. Alright, I'm by myself. But you're talking about the church, but you can't even handle. See, you can see, listen, that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you, if you try to destroy God's church, God will destroy you. Listen, y'all, many of you think of your giving as a voting tool. Here, that's a vote. Many of you see it as an approval rating. If you like what's going on, then you give. You, the greatest sucker move in the history of the church is when I'm on sabbatical giving drops. It takes, that's, that's the greatest sucker move in the history of the kingdom. That because I'm here, I, I, I hope you're not just here for me. Because I, 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 last I checked, it's still stuff going on in, in those time periods. I'm by myself. It's okay. I brought my amens and my soul with me. You view it as a tip. Some of you will go to Center City or the Margaritas, Bahama Mamas, Amaretto Sours, and all kinds of wine. And the, the bill will come up to $150. And when the gratuity thing comes up, you know black people aren't known for tipping. So in order to rebrand how black people are viewed, because you got a nice job now, you give the 25% tip plus some, even though 80 of y'all went and it's already a gratuity rating of 18% on it, but you add some on because you want to be viewed a certain way. But that waitress ain't come from heaven to earth for you. That waitress didn't preach your life back into life. That waitress didn't die on the cross for you. That waitress didn't stay at all night in a grave. That waitress. Some of y'all are concerned more with perception than perfection. Some of you all view it as a protest. I'm not giving right now. Oh, I, you, you're not robbing me. You're not, ro you're not ro you robbing Yahweh. I don't like what pastor said. I'm not giving. All right, cool. God's going to deal with you, not me. <laughs> um, some of us see it as doing the church a favor. And others see it as to help the church, the church's mission. So that, I, I, and there's some good in that, but I really want us to get from this the necessity of this being Godward and giving. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> it says, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Now, this is under the law, so I know you've heard this passage preached. Listen, if you don't tithe, amen, your car going to break down. <laughs> Hallelujah. God going to cut a hole in your pockets and as quick as you put your money in your pockets, the money is going to come out of the bottom of your pockets and you ain't going to have nothing until you tithe. You ain't going to have no money until you give to the Lord. I know if you give to the Lord, he'll open up the windows of heaven. Oh, he'll open them up. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Now, I like all of that sauce, though. I like that. You need that, thumb down. You need that, thumb down. But on that point, on that point, it's just not true anymore. Because Galatians 3.13 speaks to the curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So when Jesus got on the cross, not only did he die for your sins, he died for your consequences. 
So he was cursed with all the curses of the law on the cross so that you wouldn't be cursed with the curses when you fail. I'm by myself. And so, and so we can shut that out. However, that's not like, wee, I can just do what I want to do now. Because some of you feel free to be trifling at this point. Verse 10. Bring the full tenth. It's called a tithe. There are three tithes. There is there's the Levitical tithe. Numbers 18.21. There's the festival tithe. Deuteronomy 14.22. And there is the poor or the welfare tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. So when we look at those three tithes, they went to several things. It was given to God, but it was used for the keeping of the temple. It wasn't only used for the keeping of the temple. It was used for the ministry that was done, the mission that was done, and to help the poor. Now you got to understand, bringing the full tithe in didn't even count offerings. Like, it didn't even count offering. Now, there are three tithes. You give the tithe normally that you give based on income. Then you give, and some people say, well, tithing also was agricultural, but that was their economy. So you can include it as an economic offering because trading was more than just coins. It was things. All right? And so, and so then there was the harvest tithe, but then there was the three-year tithe after three years, right? So there were, there were three tithes, and they had been... And, and, and the only way you can... View, the t- view your giving uh, or not give is when you don't value God anymore. That's it. When you, when, you, when you decide not to give, you're saying, God, I don't care about you anymore. And, I, and I'm going to address some things because I know the questions that's in your mind right now. And so in the New Testament, we have what's called grace giving. And when we talk about in the New Testament, grace giving... Grace giving is based on what we say every Sunday. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, the person who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. The person that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Each person should do as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So now, that's, how, how do we give in the New Testament? We got to say tithing versus grace giving, right? So now, grace giving is, is based on how you are prospering. <clears throat> how you're prospering. And that, that doesn't mean you view $10 is how you're prospering. Amen. But I believe the 10th is a good benchmark, not as a law, but a good benchmark and starting place because we as humans need some type of barometer for what makes sense to be giving, right? So there's nothing wrong with, 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 with starting with this. But remember, I said that's a start. And Jesus didn't have a problem with the tithe because he talks about it in Matthew 23, 20. He talks about the tithe a few times. And he doesn't talk about it as a principle of a command in the same sense that the Old Testament talks about it. But he talks about it as a benchmark. In 23, Matthew 23, 23, he says, you tithe, deal, mint, and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, mercy, faithfulness, and justice. You should have done these things without neglecting the former. What is he saying? Tithing is fine, but your heart ain't right. And so he said, he said, you're meticulous about the law, but you don't have the heart of the law behind it. So it was the reverse. They had the giving, but not the depth that goes behind that, right? And so I, I'm just going to say this. I don't know for me if I'd give less than people under the law since I'm under grace. I can't walk around here less thankful than them. They looked forward to what they didn't even know they were going to see, but I live in the reality of what they look forward to. So for me, giving has to be a part of the matrix of my life because my Savior gave so much for me. <laughs> it has to be. You know, and grace has to be a motivator. I can tell you some stories. Me and wifey, we laugh about so many things in the course of our marriage. Somebody's asking now, you know, do I tithe off the net or the gross? And see, when you start doing that, you wildin', because Uncle Sam get his off the gross. So you want to give Uncle Sam off the gross, but you want to give God off the net. What, what kind of, now let, me, let me explain something to you. I ain't talking as a guy <clears throat> that's walking in all kinds of abundance all the time. You understand? When my wife and I got married, I made $1,800 a month working two jobs. 
um, 30 miles apart. One job paid 1,000, one job paid 800. That was at the church. I was an intern at the church, $800 a month. <laughs> and then we had $1,000, you know, $1,000 a month on this side. And everything's going fine. My wife was making $12 an hour. She was working at a church as a counseling intern, and she was about to, you know, work on her counseling stuff. And then she got severely sick and went into the hospital and couldn't work. So then the doctor said she can't work right now, but she can still go to school. So that income dropped off. Then, during that period of time, the Lord began to speak to me. And the way he spoke to me was a way, you know, that's why she's laughing already. He told me, quit the $1,000 job. I'm like, God, if I had to choose between which one to quit, I mean, I'm gonna lose $200 over here, here, and I could have stayed here, and God was like, no, because that keeps you at the church. And I want you embedded in the church because you got so much to learn here. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, so God, now, you, her job gone, I got one gone. Um, you know, um, I do give above normal right now, God. Yes, I know that. This I mean God talk. Um, our rent, don't get mad, was $325, and my car note was $292.86. And so I said, God, like, I'm going to continue to give, but what are, you, what are you wanting me to do? He says, I want you to raise money. I'm like, what is that? I didn't even know what that was. He said, raise support. I said, I found out what it was from a mentor. I was like, you want me to put out support letters? Now, now, please, my other siblings from other ethnicities, forgive me, but black folk, you send black folk a support letter? They'd be like, yeah, big girl, get in these streets, get you a, a job, my. You better get you, y'all know what they be saying. Cussing, cussing you out. You better get you a support job. Shoot. Some old slaves. I, you know, your daddy gonna say, boy, you, boy, I, you know in 1939, I was, I was in, I was pushing a Georgia buggy. I was like. <laughs> you know, black folk don't know nothing about you asking them for no free money. Now, white folk, our white siblings, it's built into their discipleship matrix. You go to the white folks, they're like, oh, I'm pleased to get this. Oh, we're going to pray about this. I was like, wow, white people, wow, wow. This is why I became a Christian. We're all one in the faith. <laughs> Man, listen. But I had to, y'all know I'm telling the truth, but I had to trust the Lord. And the Lord was like, I don't care what the culture of black people is like. I'm the Lord of the heavens and earth. And guess what? Some white checks came in and some black, a bunch of black checks came in. And guess what? We never missed a meal. Matter of fact, they opened up a place on campus for you to go once a week to get some food called Luke's Closet. Now, you know, I couldn't buy no clothes during that time. It was tight. And you know, when you ain't got nothing, you still want to look like the fact that you ain't in the situation you actually in. So they opened up a thrift store on campus for free clothes. So we had to dress up. I got me a tweed suit and some shoes, and I, was, I looked nice. And my little, my, my, my little situation was looking nice. But why am I saying all of that? Is that you all need to learn like we had to learn to trust God. Even, listen, <clears throat> don't see what you don't have to give when you give as taking away from your bills. See your bills as taking away from God. And I can tell you story after story after story of God meeting us during that time. I mean, but then he says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Now, the storehouse, of course, in, in the Old Testament was the temple. But 
Um, the storehouse now is the local church. We see in Acts 2, uh, 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all. They, how do we know that that's the storehouse? Because chapter 4 says in verse 35 and 37, and laid them at the apostles' feet. The apostles' feet, they didn't have a church building. So they had to put it at the apostles' feet as a sign of giving it to the church. And the apostles and the elders of the church properly budgeted and distributed the money. You'll see that later on in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, I, I, like the way this, I like the way Paul goes swag talk to the church when he asks for money. I think, I think I'm entering this era right here of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. He says, now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. I like how he's talking. He's instructing them on money without fear. Then he said, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, which was not them replacing the Sabbath with Sunday, but just celebrating, gathering together because that's when the Lord was raised. Saturday was still the Sabbath. Sunday isn't the new Sabbath. That was for free. Each of you is, is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. Listen to how he's talking. Then he says, so that no one, no collections will need to be made when I come. He basically said, had a bag ready. <laughs> and because he knew what it was for, he had no qualms with it. We'll come to the next point. Y'all still with me, right? Y'all gonna get all this today. It's gonna go fast now. Giving... Point two is to expand God's kingdom. Philippians 1.6, many people quote this verse, but don't really know the, the real reason for the verse. It, uh, 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 Philippians chapter one, verse six. It says, I am sure of this, that he, sta he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, many of us think that that's just talking about your purpose, like your life purpose. But I don't know if you noticed, but Philippians is the same type of letter I told you I wrote. It's a support letter. How do I know? Because he'll talk at the end of the book about them sharing in the gospel, and he's going to ask them for money. But, he, but what he does here is he does marry giving to your spiritual life. Now, what he's saying is, when he says... I'm, I'm, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, what good work? Supporting the ministry. Will continue, will carry it to, on to completion until Jesus Christ returns. In other words, you're going to continue your trajectory of giving. So that's what that verse is really about. And so that, that, that's very important for us to, to say because it, 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 it goes to ministry. I'll, I'll never forget. That same year where we made all of those different decisions to transition and we, I got out of, she, she got out of her job, I, I took a thousand dollar loss or whatever, and um, my pastor got up and started this thing called a Thanksgiving offering. And I said, like, oh, okay, what's that? It was something he was utilizing as a mechanism for giving. He said, I want the church to give one week's household income per year, one just one, above their normal giving. And you know, I'm just like, oh, cool. That's a nice thing to do. Uh, you, know, but I, I, you know, but in my mind, I'm like, God not asking me to do that because I'm already, we're we not doing well. In the sense, I mean, we're doing great, but we're not, like if somebody were to ask for financial reports and giving and we got to help, Lord. I, so I know he's not asking me. I can't, I, I can't even get a car. Like, Nothing. So I know, I just assume, but the Holy Spirit always has to, I got, if you walk with God, he always is going to push you right to the square block that you backed up from. And the way he does it is the further you walk away from it, the more of a knot comes in your spiritual chest. I don't, that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, oh, you, you participate. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know how you just think you're just, I'm, no, I'm just, no, he was like, you're participating. We ended up participating. And I can't tell you that God tripled and doubled what we gave. 
I'll talk about that in a second. But, but, but guess what God was beginning to teach me? Stop it. He said, Eric, I got y'all. I got y'all. Like, don't, you do not, listen, you steward your stuff well, but you, I care about you making it more than you do. And I love you making it more than you love you making it because I have more love to love you with. And as over the years, as we began to grow, that was the seeds for believing God for things here to happen and things in the ministry to happen and things in our life happen is that God wants to expect, God doesn't just want to provide, he wants to work on you in the ways in which you believe him as he provides. <laughs> That's it. So next one. Giving is to serve the needs of others. It says, and I'm almost done. In Acts chapter 2 verse 44, it says, all of the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any needed. So there, this wasn't communism. This was a reflection of the Levitical ideology of community shalom. Leviticus is a really a book, if you really understand it, it's really about shalom in community through God's people. God, Leviticus is an extended Ephesians 4 in Romans chapter 12. Really is. Right. Um, uh, and, and, so, and so as we look at this, right, they were responding biblically to what they already knew in their Jewish faith, practically in their Christian faith. But listen, they weren't selling everything. They sold a portion. So nobody was being made to do this. People willingly did this. Now, when somebody said they were going to willingly do it and they lied, God killed them. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5. Right. Because he said you didn't lie. Listen to what he said, though. He said you didn't lie to me. You lie to the Holy Spirit. So see how giving is towards God, not the apostle, the prophet, or the preacher. So important. So now we, we, we have to look in that framework. Next point, and I'm done. So we give a minute. Last but not least, giving is sowing a seed and expecting a harvest. Each, it says... If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. It says it here, in, and, and, and it says it in Galatians chapter 2. And one of the things that, I, you know, it was interesting because we started that season of giving, and we were giving above, and I would hear those verses, and I was like, God, you're doing some stuff, but when is that harvest thing you be talking about coming? When, when is that happening? So during this season, another thing that we didn't have was insurance. So we didn't have any insurance. And you know when you're in that season when you ain't got insurance, you're praying that you don't get sick and that you don't get a prescription. Because then you find out how much without insurance stuff really costs. You better, oh, the, 1500, uh, the devil is a lot for a pill? A pill. Um, my wife got really, really sick another time in our marriage. We were still in seminary. And... I was like, I guess you got to go to the hospital. And um, <laughs> I'm going to the hospital. And I'm just like, Lord, it, 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 you are the resurrection and the life. Though he is dead, she, I was trying to pray every prayer in my mind. And um, we went to the hospital. Wifey went in, stayed for a week. They gave me the bill. It was 13 grand. And I said, you know what, Lord? I'm learning. My wife looked at me, we shook our heads. We said, somehow, we felt like Abraham, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. My wife goes and talks to the social worker to try to figure life out. And she touches her hand and whispers to her, I'm not supposed to do this, but we decided to do this for you. We're gonna pay everything. And God was like, if you walk with me, your finances is never based on what you make. Some of you under the sound of my voice are going through a financial strain. 
And one of the remedies is not being stingy. Some of you are asking God for what you haven't given him yet. You can't ask God for money if you ain't give him none. He said, you got to give me something to work with. He said, now the way this works is like agriculture. You give me a seed. When you give it to me, I plant it. You do it by faith. Don't do it under compulsion because I love a cheerful giver. So when you give, when you, when you sow your seed, sow it in joy and give it. And God will respond all the time in the way he wants and in the timing he wants with a harvest for you. And I can tell you in our marriage, harvest after harvest, I remember, I wouldn't even mention, man, I, I'm, I'm closing. I, I remember when we were trying to buy our first house by, by the terminal up in the Northeast. And I knew, I was like, I don't know how, they, listen, they talking about 20% down, we in ministry. So I, I got more debt at that time than salary. You know, and so, they was like, yeah, you, the financial, 20% down. I said, 20% down? I said, I ain't never been able to save that yet. This was years ago. And um, then they said, 3%. I said, still don't have that. <laughs> well, you can keep going, 1.1, two, you can keep going now. We don't have it. <laughs> and so we just wasn't there. And God blessed us and has strengthened us financially to be able to get out, we're out, out pretty much out of debt. But, uh, but, but, but at that time, we, we, it was tight, crazy, tight, tighter than tight. And um, I told a pastor friend of mine about it. And then my wife was on the phone with one of the supporting churches that gave Epiphany $100,000, some members there. So she's on the phone with her. I get, th this one guy says, I'm giving you $13,000. Like, what? Yeah, we're gonna write a check for $13,000 for down payment. Then my wife's on the phone, we, we had saved some money up and had some stuff together, and we were like, dang, this is how much we need. My wife said, and I told my wife what happened. She said, the person on the phone said, how much do y'all need? And we said, and my wife told her the amount. She whispered something to her husband. Husband whispered back, checks on the way. Wow. But guess what we didn't stop doing during that time? We didn't stop giving. As tight as it was, not honoring God through our wealth was not an option. And so, at the end of the day, God cares for and takes care of us. So, things I look to see here at Epiphany Fellowship. People looking for ways to be generous. So what I want to see. Giving not being an issue for believers anymore. It's not an issue for you anymore. Giving being, and uh, 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 not being a trigger for your generosity. I pray that the kingdom and what God has called us to do never lacks in what is needed to plow forward. And that your giving would be an act of worship to God. Listen, Jesus raised money. In Luke 8, 3, women, wealthy women were the greatest supporters of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry would not have made it if it wasn't for sacrificial women who were in positions who utilized their privilege to pour out into his ministry. So God is a better giver than us, family. And God gives to you to give through you. And God calls the church to steward giving well. So what am I going to say? Y'all know we're going somewhere with this. Now, I'm challenging every constant attender and member to give at least 10%. Moving forward, it's, it's time. I, I, we can't go into a situation where my financial manager should never come to me saying we lack money. We, we should never be in that position again. We shouldn't be, I shouldn't have to do a video that says we're going into a $200,000 deficit because half of y'all decided not to give. That's unacceptable to God and it should be unacceptable to you. Um, so that's what I ask, a minimum of 10% as a starting place. But I'm also asking, because we're entering a deficit, because of this, something the church has never entered into, I'm asking for every individual and family, every individual and family that attends uh, 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 and, and is a member to give $1,000 above your normal giving by January 1st, 2023. Now, let me just tell y'all this, because I feel real free. That's why I wore the stretchy pants, because I'm free. I'm free today. 
So I don't care what you think about me today because I'm going to obey God with the stretchy. I got room to move around and bless the Lord. So that's what I'm going to do today. So guess what? Since I'm at it, every year I will be challenging you in love to sacrificially give above your normal giving. Um, also, we, and the other thing we need to do is create honorable ways of nurturing your heart to view giving as worship. That, that's what we want to do. Now, in closing, you know, years ago, I, um, I was at one of our partner churches who gave us $600,000 to plant. Um, uh, they, over time, they gave us $600,000 to start this church. So I'm there preaching for them, and I'm in Texas in this parking lot, and I'm walking out to my car to get some out of it, and this white man just starts running towards me. Now, I'm in Texas, and I'm blue-black. So he's coming to us. So I don't know, you know, Texas is an open carry state. I'm not carrying that day. So I'm looking like, what, what's money? Do I need to just snuff him as soon as he stands here? So I didn't know what was going to happen. But he stopped and he, he said, Dr. Mason. I said, okay, we good. <laughs> um, he says, I've been following your ministry and I love what Epiphany is doing. I don't know why and I don't know where you could put it but God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, build Epiphany a playground. The neighborhood just told us that they wanted a safe playground built. They drove his whole staff, you can put it up now, from Texas. And when they drove their whole staff from Texas, this was the day they came and dug out this playground. And what was beautiful about it what was beautiful about it um, <laughs> um, is, is people were walking past, but, but, but particularly Muslims. And this, this, this is a Philly exuberant way to know you're doing something great. I said, I said um, a person said, hey, hey uh, she's a Muslim, full Muslim God. She said, what is this? And I said, we're at church, and you know, I was happy, and you know, God is blessing us to be able to uh, build a playground. She said, that's decent. You, you know, when somebody say you that's decent in Philly, that's like, wow! I had to learn that. I, th I didn't know that, right? But, but, and this is the day that it got built. And now, uh, nurse, uh, nurseries and different places in the community use this as their playground now. But we were a recipient of this. We were a recipient of this. But I la uh, this AC wasn't given here. That same church gave us 15 grand to be able to get this done. It was that we are recipients of other people's generosity. But now we have to return to our legacy of generosity as a church. We help build, we help build, um, we help build uh, uh, a lot in Africa already with the school. We give, uh, t we've given well over, I mean, I can't even, I mean, probably over a million dollars to church planning and ministry globally, to church plants, right, and other ministries. And, 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 and this doesn't even count the Diamond Festival. We haven't even done that in a while because we, we, I didn't feel like we could ask because we didn't have the resource. We would minister to 3,000 people in a day. And we got to return to that. But when you start giving back to God again and being faithful, we can continue the work that we're doing and continue to do more than what God, all that God has called us to do. And so I'm charging you today in the presence of God to return to him. Yeah. To return to him. Eight, uh, one, of, one of our members, one of our uh, new members, his wife uh, uh, works at Temple Hospital. And she told me just before this service that eight people got shot last night. One of them was a 12-year-old. We need to be able to respond to that. We need to be able to uh, somehow come around the family but I need to be able to pull on the resources of generous people. I, I should be able to come to you and say, hey, we need this, we need that, because there's a lot of work to be done in our community and in our city that God has called us to do. We got a boxing league going on, 300 kids involved. We got after school program, and I want to upgrade their food choices so they get healthiest food choices that they can get while they come here. I'm begging you and I'm asking, I'm commanding you actually, not begging. I'm commanding you to stop starving the vision God has given me. 
and to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and your works. I'm praying that you would be with us. Thank you for those who have been giving. Lord God, I'm praying that we would amp up no matter what season financially we're in. My prayer is, is that we would treat giving again as an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.